0: It's Adam Shartoff, your host of FilmWax Radio. It's Friday, April 30th, 2021. This is episode 666 of the podcast. I'm not going to make any devil references because of just the mere fact that this is episode 666. That's insane. We're just going to move it right along. It's true. Only people I really adore are on this episode. So uh, I'm very excited. Uh, there's two segments. We have uh, an old friend of the podcast, David Schwartz. Now, David... Is an interesting biography, and uh, we're not going to go too much into it because we're going to talk about a book that he's just edited, and we'll get to that in one second. And then I'm going to bring on a group of people from, well, from this year called the Outside Story. We we already broached this film once with the director and producer some months back, and now we're going to revisit the film this time with again the director Kazmir K- Naskowski, as well as a couple of the cast members, Sunita Mani and Olivia Edward. And that film is available today. We'll get to the outside story in the second segment. But but for now, I want to present to you David Schwartz. Now David was until not too long ago the chief curator at the Museum of the Moving Image, which is in Astoria, New York. And uh, he left that position and he is now programming the Paris Theater, uh, which is owned by Netflix. So what happens is, I guess, is that you know, it makes sense for Netflix to own a movie theater because movies that premiere on Netflix, they, in order to get Oscar consideration, uh, uh, and now this is the way it's historically worked, that they would have to have a theatrical in New York City. So this was a way to ensure they have their own theater to do theatrical runs for movies that are going to be on Netflix and that uh, are want to be, obviously, eligible for or awards such as an Oscar, which you know kind of worked out for them this year. But David also had somehow made time to edit this book called David Cronenberg Interviews, which is part of a series published by the University Press of Mississippi. They've been doing other books in the series, they've done one on Alan Renee and Cassie Lemons, Nichols, and I mean, just a bunch. But this one is on uh, one of uh, David Schwartz's favorite filmmakers, David Cronenberg, who, of course, is from Canada originally, but is a uh, world-renowned filmmaker. And this is a collection of 15 Interviews. With, with David Cronenberg, whose work is thematically consistent and marked by a rigorous intelligence, a keen sense of humor, and a fearless engagement with the nature of human existence. And um, you can buy the book pretty much wherever it's sold. I would urge you, if you're a fan of David Cronenberg's, to purchase a copy of this wonderful collection of interviews with this wonderful filmmaker. And here is David Schwartz. He's back on FOMOax radio. This, I think his third visit. I, I'm not positive. Who, who keeps track of these things? doing good sir how are you good
1: so let's talk about the book since... okay great thank you for holding it up i love the uh photograph yeah. so that cover photograph is by um caitlin cronenberg uh, david's by daughter. who caitlin cronenberg it's david cronenberg's daughter
0: oh i was gonna say what a coincidence they have the same last yeah name. exactly
1: um no he has a son who's a filmmaker brandon cronenberg um, and
0: I've seen his films. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And Caitlin has been a photographer for a while. And she's like a very uh, successful portrait photographer.
0: Dune here
1: or in a, in, in a Canada? <laughs> in I guess Toronto. she's in Canada. I don't know for sure, but I'm. A, it seems like she's based in Toronto. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but anyhow, I, I, I love that picture of him. So
0: I was glad I was able to get it for the book. So, he has dreamy eyes i'll give him that
1: <laughs> he is yeah he does you
0: Absolutely. edited a compilation i guess of interviews that have stood out in your in your experience about yeah. with 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 the uh this auteur filmmaker
1: mm-hmm. and
0: uh i know that uh, some time ago maybe about is it possible it was in the 90s where you actually programmed a uh, retrospective of of his films in fact
1: yeah it was one of my first big retrospectives at the museum of the moving image like you know i i the museum opened in 1988 and um Cronenberg was you know by that time was already one of my favorite working contemporary filmmakers and um he was taking on this big project he was he this was um started working on this like about a year before Naked Lunch was released and it was the first time I did a retrospective at the museum that was coordinated with the release of a film you know, it's actually um, a formula that I think dates back to Peter Bogdanovich doing that with Museum of Modern Art. He did... Uh, for, for,
0: uh, well, he did a couple. He did, I think he did a Norsen Wells, but he also did a... a, a uh, he did a, Hitch- a
1: Hitchcock one. Oh, excuse
0: me. A Hitchcock, but he... And then... Wh- wh- uh, Hawks. Uh, probably Haw- Howard, Howard Hawks. Hawks. That's right. But he, yeah. he
1: did a Hitchcock one when... Uh, and that was in conjunction with, with the birds coming out. Oh, funny. And it was... Um, Anyhow, that's a whole other story. But but um, you know, I was just you know very taken with Cronenberg, and yeah, and we did um, a compre- you know, complete retrospective. You know, that was a time in his career when he had he, you know, wasn't too far removed from his you know reputation as a horror movie director. And this was like a big. It was, I mean, I guess you would call Naked Lunch an art house movie, but it happened to be released by a major studio. You know, that year Fox released both Barton Fink and Naked Lunch. And um, I think it was this, yeah, that I, which were, I both, actually, which were both commercial disasters, but you know, critical favorites, but <laughs> commercial disasters.
0: The interesting connection between those two, Cullen, right? Like uh, the the Cullens at that time, especially and and I uh, you know. That I could see those films kind of being a double feature too, Fargo. Um, they and, and... would
1: be that would be a good double feature. Yeah, yeah. I think that led. I think Joe Roth was running Fox at the time, and after those films came out, he said um, Fox is out of the art art house business now. <laughs> it was, <laughs> but anyhow, I, I met Cronenberg. Um, you know, I worked for. I it was a lot of work putting that retrospective together. We we did the New York premiere of Naked Lunch and uh we also premiered a, a really good behind the scenes documentary called Naked Making Lunch by Christopher Rodley. Oh. And Cronenberg came to New York and um you know I I've met him a number of times over the years. I think I've interviewed him about 5 or 6 times. And you know sort of became a, a tradition, you know when a, whenever a new film came out I would usually try to present it at the museum and do an interview with him.
0: Right. Well, why didn't you just decide to do a book of your... Were those Q&As, I mean, are you talking about when you say you in, you interviewed him? Five or Yeah, six when
1: I interviewed, I mean, everything that I did with him was for public programs. You right. Know, it was a series at the museum called the Pinewood Dialogues and he would just come and um, you know, and talk and he was brilliant, you know. and, and yeah. I mean, the thing about Cronenberg, you know, I'm sure you've interviewed a lot of filmmakers and, you know, when Filmmakers are almost invariably, like, incredibly smart and level-headed. And even if they make crazy movies, it doesn't mean that they're crazy. You know, you can't really be... And there was this famous story where Scorsese and Cronenberg met, and Scorsese said to Cronenberg, I was really a little afraid to meet you, because, you know, I'd seen movies like Scanners and The Brood, and I'd seen these horror movies, and I was, like, afraid to meet you in real life. And, of course, Cronenberg says like Martin Scorsese is telling me this, the guy who made Taxi Driver. Yeah, right. Um, you know, the people, like Cronenberg, if, you know, when you meet him, he's the most like urbane, funny, easygoing guy you can imagine. You know, yet he makes these films that, that you know, get in touch with a lot of dark forces and are very graphic and violent. So there's a dichotomy there. Yeah. Um, but it was always fun to interview. But I did have a sort of traumatic—I mean, somewhat traumatic—experience. I, really? I, I did a lot of like preparation for the interview. It was like early on in my, you know, interviewing career. Like I've interviewed hundreds of filmmakers, but this was one of the first major ones I did, and um, I had all—I came prepared with all these sort of heavy questions, you know, theoretical questions. <laughs> and i asked this very long-winded question at the beginning of our first conversation on stage and um david said something like oh wait are you my friend or my enemy and then he said why don't we just take audience questions <laughs> and he yeah. was um yeah and i know what he was doing like he he a filmmaker uh doesn't want to be too theoretical about their work you know they want to be their you know their films might be filled with ideas but you know a filmmaker does not want to really explain their work right so they want to so and uh, you know and again I'm telling you this you've interviewed you know you're you've you've interviewed countless filmmakers yeah but
0: I don't think about these issues unless I'm talking to somebody else who's done that too so go on <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying yeah. I, don't, I don't know that I think about it uh all the time but go ahead right
1: yeah 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 so um exactly. So, um, but anyhow, it was, you know, it was, a, it, it was, it was a learning experience for me, but, I, but the, you know, the thing about Cronenberg, he's incredibly entertaining and, and he'll Great. talk, you know, in this book, like if, when you're reading through these interviews that are collected in the book, he's constantly referring to different authors and philosophers and he's filled with ideas. You know, his movies are movies about ideas. And so he's a a great interview, but and also like he kind of when he's up on stage and when he's talking to a journalist, he's sort of performing.
0: That's right. That's what I was going to I was going to say that I was going to I bet there is a difference between how he wants to speak about his films in a printed uh, or written interview, as opposed to something in front of an audience. I could definitely understand that he's trying to be a little bit more
1: proletarian or (laughs) Whatever, man Yeah, a, when he's on stage, you're right. When he's doing a yeah. press conference or he's on stage in front of an audience, he's like a Jewish comedian, you know, he's yeah. trying to be entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. And he's very, very funny. He's one of the funniest people I've ever met. I mean, he's he's hilarious. I only seen him once in public. Uh, oh, at, what was that for? I think it was his last film, in fact. He was
0: uh, Maps of the Stars, I think, he, he at, at, at uh, Walter Reed, you know. Oh, cool. Okay. I think that's where I saw him interviewed. and I can't remember who was from the from the uh, committee who was... Uh, talking to him, but um yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, it was it was a treat because you know i have been a such a thing.
1: He he's definitely a treat. So um but he's you know he's he's always been a, a favorite filmmaker of really serious critics, you know, very intellectual critics. And as a result there's there's just great interviews out there with people, you know, the people in the book who do interviews include Amy Taubin and Gavin Smith and Dennis Lim. Um oh, all so. any
0: of those might have been the ones I saw interview uh <laughs> yeah yeah exactly uh when did he first come on your radar by the way as a young guy when did you, the,
1: I, did you, oh, did you I, I have a very, I have a very strong memory of that it was videotron yeah me too yeah no okay. scanners excuse me go ahead but go ahead okay um and i you know i really got serious about film in the late 70s like around 78 79 and then I, I, I transferred. I was going to Columbia University, and then transferred to Purchase. You know, to go into a film program. And this was like just early '80s. Of course, was just the very beginning of of home video. You know, go movies on on video cassette on VHS. So I think that's the first way that I saw a video drum, and. You know, such an interesting experience to, you know, pop a cassette, a video drum into your TV and um, yeah. into your VCR. And it's such a, you know, meta film. It's a film all about the medium, about the difference between film and video. And it, it just was brilliant, you know, sort of playing around with all these ideas about cinema itself and about images and it sort of had everything to me. It had ideas. Obviously, you know, he was obviously um, a filmmaker who was influenced by Marshall McLuhan. That's one of the names that's dropped um, a number oh. of times in the book. Yeah. So that, that just struck me as a brilliant film. It was, you know, right at the time that eight, you know, when it came out was a great period for horror movies, you know, directors like John Carpenter and George Romero were at, right. in their prime. So he sort of fit into that group of filmmakers Yet I had all these like interesting ideas to to sort through. So, uh, you know, I was convinced when I saw Videodrome that he that he was a, a major filmmaker, and and then I just followed him very closely ever since. But I,
0: because I do recall, I remember when I was in high school, the uh-huh. scanners. I remember seeing those trailers for it, and they freaked me out a little bit. Like yeah. the body, the heads exploding. It freaked me out. Like, not horror per se. The mm-hmm. traditional horror was okay. But there's something about what he was doing got inside of me. You know, like, it, it got in my head. And it, um, and it was disturbing, I guess is a better word, disturbing images and things that, you know, yeah. I, the same thing in scanners. Well, and so I was very, uh, you know, intimidated with the idea of seeing his films until much later
1: yeah I mean you know some of the words that you just used when you talk about him about being inside your head and getting in your head you know the 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 very specific thing that Cronenberg is always interested in is is this idea that to him all the horror and comes from within comes from inside of us you know um and that can mean different things but like he you know I mean, one of the things he says somewhere in the book, he's talking about Jaws and Steven Spielberg's Jaws, and he said, "Yeah, the shark is scary, you know, but he's more interested right. in the horror that comes from inside of us, you know." And literally, his very first um, significant commercial feature film is, is called is well, it's called Shivers, but also was released as They Came from Within, and it was, um, you know, uh, set in. a, an apartment complex in Montreal where this sort of parasitic bug was, right. in, you know, invaded the bodies of, of the people who live there yes. and, it tra- and, and it transformed the people into sort of sex crazed monsters. Um, and that's a you know, very overt metaphor for this idea of, of horror coming from inside, you know, his, his films have always stuck to that idea. Uh, so that Videodrome almost like, I think the, almost the last half of the movie is entirely subjective. We're entirely inside the mind of James Wood's character. You know, we sort of leave reality. And this happens in a number of his films. You know, it's, they become very internal. They take us inside, um, you know, and, that, and that's consistent throughout his films. But he's really interested in, in um, what's going on inside our brain but then he ties that in with what's going on inside of our body,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you know, so, so he's a cerebral director. He's all about ideas, but he, you know, in one form or another, he's always reminding us that a human being is, is, you know, this very physical creature animal that is going to you know, decay and de transform and decompose. And we're kind of, we're bound to our bodies. In either in your
0: studying of him your research and in your getting to know him do you get a sense of what where he found his how he found his voice because he he is a filmmaker as we both have already kind of alluded to with a very unique voice
1: I mean it's a great question like where he came from and you know you, you always associate his early career with with these horror movies that he made in the beginning you know he did that came from within, um, and it was very shocking for a Canadian director at that right. time to be working that way. Right. You know, there was a, the real tradition at the time uh, in Canadian cinema was was a kind of realism, and you know, um, most characterized by the documentaries that the National Film Board of Canada was making. But most of the narrative filmmakers, mm-hmm. you know, at that time that Cronenberg was getting coming into his own as a filmmaker were working in the style of realism. So so it was pretty subversive for him to to take on horror. Um you know much more so than an American filmmaker doing that. But if you but um a a really important thing to understand about Cronenberg is that he came from a very he was very well read. He came from a very literate background. You know he talks in the in one of you know the interviews in the book about he was just grew up surrounded by books. You know, he had a very, his parents were very sophisticated. His mother was a musician. Right. Um, and he, and his interests were quite avant-garde early on. You know, he, he actually started a, a filmmakers cooperative in um, Toronto that was based on the filmmakers co-op in New York city. And so that New York experimental scene with uh, Andy Warhol. Right. Um, and, you know others, uh, Stan Brackage and, and other filmmakers. Like, he was very, very interested in that. So uh, that's sort of an, important to keep in mind. You know, he's, it's, it's not like he was somebody who grew up watching B horror movies. You know, that's not what he saw. He was watching avant-garde film. His first fe- you know, his first films that he made were um, were experimental features of Stereo right. and Crimes of the Future which were not commercial films at all. They were very independently made films. And, you know, he, at some point he realized that he wanted to work in film and work out these ideas but also reach an audience and also like participate in the commercial side of filmmaking. You know, he, he tells a story about going to camp, you know, he, he lived in France for, for a while in the sixties and he went to, to Cannes one year and he really went there. His first time as, as an, like an artist, you know, and, and the whole spectacle of the Cannes film festival, he couldn't really make sense of, but then he went back a few years later to, to Khan and had a whole different attitude. It sort of showed him that it made him think that there's a, like a place for him in the realm of commercial cinema. And, and that's what he uh, has always been, you know, a sort of, Subversive avant garde artist working within the commercial medium of film, and um, you know, he's had some commercial successes like The Fly, the Fly was huge. Uh, even was Dead Zone a success at the I time? Think De- yeah, Dead Zone, he had that period when uh, you know, Dead yeah. Zone was successful, I think later on, like History of Violence, but but um, you know, he for the most part has has made sort of very uncompromising art house films. That's right. And, and never, you know, he was never um, going to be a director like a Steven Soderbergh or even Richard Linklater, who sort of moves back and forth between making very personal films and very commercial films. You know, like one of the things I love about... Not as a strategy anyway. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, one of the things I love about Cronenberg's body of work is that, you know, there's a real integrity to it. And, you know, he's definitely had some some commercial success and some hits um but he seems to really make the films that he wants to make and so he's had to make
0: a sort of a i guess be okay with sort of remaining under the the radar to some degree in general as a filmmaker you know like he's entered the popular culture because he's also just been around a long time
1: yes Uh, yeah uh, but yeah yeah he's uh, in the 70s now i hope he continue. you know he's he's slowed down as a filmmaker he's very prolific though yes been, but been very prolific he is he has been prolific um but he also doesn't seem like like somebody who's just going to crank out commercial work you know right. to keep to keep
0: going like he, well part of that is i'm sure the search for money and distribution and all that right that's not as easy as some maybe
1: yeah. yeah now supposedly he's making a film i mean the you know apparently he's doing a project with vigo mortensen and they had some great films together with sure. street violence and eastern promises and they're apparently doing a, a movie that's in the vein of his of his heart you know earlier horror movie oh really so that's exciting but um is, yeah you know matt like i love uh I actually love some of the recent work, Cosmopolis. I'm a big fan of, and I like Maps to the Stars a lot. Mm-hmm. But those were, you know, not I agree, commercial successes by any means. Or credible. no,
0: but you see an artist, you see a filmmaker who is not just repeating himself, who's not doing things that are. I mean, he's definitely still doing probably for the most part what he wants to. I'm not saying he doesn't compromise. You know, maybe he chooses certain actors in a more strategic way, but you, you,
1: you know, these aren't like <laughs> pure fire hits here, you know? No, uh, not at all. Even though he's working with Robert Pattinson. Exactly.
0: You know? Yeah.
1: And V. Um, and v- and in, and Pismopolis.
0: And, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. He has a great turn as an actor, even um, I, I'm sure more than once, but most memorably in to die for.
1: Yeah. He's done. um yeah, that's the whole side of his career. He's been in a number of films. Um and he's, you know, he's kind of a striking presence in movies as an actor. I mean, I don't think ever talk about that. We or you know, we really just, I mean, more of a We really didn't. I mean, it was it was sort of clear that he would do these things for fun. You know, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't very important to him, but he was friends with directors and he would get asked to be in something and would enjoy it. Right. It was more like almost
0: like stunt casting, only maybe the stunt was more for like an inside thing that rather than, you know, like most people probably don't recognize him. Right. Or maybe even his name. Right. Exactly. But, you know, those who do enjoy that quite a bit. You know, yeah. The C. Yeah. David Croninger. Um Yeah. When, as a matter of fact, the first time I saw it To Die For when it came out, i didn't know who he was mm. i mean i knew who he was but i didn't know what he looked like or oh okay notice his name in the credits so i don't even know if he's in oh the i
1: credit.
0: see yeah i didn't be credited but then when i you know saw it again you know it was like <sighs> knocked off my plate. i was like wow i don't remember that <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> anyway but uh i'm a big fan um and There's been a few of his films. I will say like, you know, I think I got in waves, you know, every certain number of films would go by and then there would be one he did. And this is the kind of career that I really can respect because, you know, like there were a few films and then all of a sudden Naked Lunch really just, ah, that film really, really connected with me. Like I was not expecting what I, what ended up happening. I was really just, he had thought, worked this out, you know, a real authentic way of telling Naked Lunch that, wasn't like the book. Right. Yeah, obviously, but uh, you know, it was so so well executed, I think that film is under maybe I I don't know if it's appreciated. I would say it's underappreciated. I, it was, I,
1: I mean, wrong. it's it's hard to say. It was a big moment for him. I mean, I, you know, when when I went back and the looked at press coverage, there were you know, it was 20th Century Fox. There was a lot of press. He did a lot of interviews. Okay. Um, I mean, I have um there's a piece that I love of, you know, where Gary Andi- Indiana, who's a village voice writer, went up on set. And it's, um, you know, basically an account on being on set. He talks to William Burroughs um, before he gets to interview Cronenberg. Yeah, but it was it was weird. Like, I didn't love Naked Lunch at first because the you, you're so, if you read the Burroughs novel, it's such a powerful thing. Mm. And of course, you know, of course what Cronenberg... Realizes that he, he can't you can't do the novel so you do you know so what he did was a film about the writing of the novel and the art and it's about the artistic process and it's a film that sort of alternates between new york you know a real new york city and then you know this world where the story unfolds in in you know morocco is all it's an uh, it's all internal, you know. Right. It's it's again one of these films where it's all happening inside the mind of the writer, and yeah, and it, you know, and and also, I mean, the, and then the other big you know thing to talk about with that is that you know Cronenberg. There's a lot of discussion around the time of Naked Lunch. Of you know, should is Cronenberg the right director to do a film that deals with homosexuality and deals with this sort of transgressive kind of sexuality? You know, Cronenberg is always like you know, his perspective is that of a heterosexual male artist um, who's certainly explored very interesting and unconventional sexual subject matters, you know, like, I mean, Crash is probably an even more subversive film than The Naked Lunch. And uh, and that, you know, that's been interesting, just the freedom that Cronenberg has taken to explore new forms of sexuality, you know, his whole, and transgressive forms, you know, uh-huh. is, is inter, you know, that's a, an interesting part of his career, and part of his artistic project, you know, and he, he says something in the book, he's very succinct about it, you know, it's like he, he, you know, it's his art can, you know, being so transgressive is what keeps him sane, you know, it, 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 like exploring these like dark territories is, allows him to stay sane and um and and being so sane allows him to sort of be free enough to you know go into this imaginary world you know it reminds me a little bit about St- of stanley kubrick ta- who was asked if he took drugs you know when he made was making 2001 and of course, Kubrick said, "No, I never take drugs. Like that would ruin. You know, I have to be lucid and clear while I'm creating art. You know. Yeah. In order to make a movie that feels, you know, 2001, which feels like a trip. You know, it's it's far out. It's it's a liberated film. But but you know, you you have to be. You know, you don't achieve that by by dropping acid and going. You tell it and, soberly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I,
0: I guess you could also argue that both. The um, Dead Ringers and and M, even M. Butterfly also yeah. explore the the sexuality component.
1: Exactly. I mean, I think you have um, you know with Dead Ringers and it, it's like uh, you know one thing I appreciate more and more as I watch Cronenberg is is the command he has over performance. You know, and performance is, uh, and and Jeremy Irons in Dead Ringers is just one of the great screen performances because he's playing you know, he plays two, two doctors, um, Beverly and Elliot, you know, he, he plays twin gynecologists and they're very, very different, you know, and one is um, sort of experiments with, with drugs and has a much more free spirit mm-hmm. and Beverly is very controlled and, yeah. you know, but, and there's a war between the two of them and they're, but they kind of trade off in a way during the film and just the way that Jeremy Irons is playing two different people who are opposites and have these competing impulses. And you know, when you when you see I've seen the film a few times, like you you always know which one he's playing. And and it's and it's done in a very subtle way. It's like really an amazing
0: I have to go of- back and watch that particular one because that I saw also in the theaters when it came out. But I yeah. It's like you know, looking through your book, I, I realized just how many of his movies I saw on upon release. I mean, I guess, you know, I'm not, I don't necessarily represent the average moviegoer. I don't know. More, I don't know. I mean, there was a period where, you know, he was po- really was popular. Um, he's come in and, well, I should, let me rephrase that. That sounds terrible. He's come in and out of vogue, like anybody with a long career, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. He, he, you know, I guess, I mean, maybe people would say was, you know, in vogue with history of violence, but yeah, he you know, naked lunch marked a turning point, you know, because he the early films he he basically tended to write them himself. I mean, the Dead Zone was an adaptation of a Stephen King novel, but yes, right. movies like the uh They Came From Within and The Brood and Scanners and Rabbit and Videodrome were originals, you know, and it was written and directed by Cronenberg. And then he started doing adaptations. And you know, you you sort of think differently about a director who's adapting other material.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and and the early films were he was working within a genre, and and there was a very devoted fan base for that genre, you know, of horror movies. Mm-hmm. And then I feel like I I was never really sure what his base was or what the audience was from Naked Lunch and beyond. You know, he he was because he was doing adaptations, but he wasn't. But did you talk to him about that? About yeah, I mean, why
0: he started doing adaptations? Like when he, clearly there was a roadmap there, right? As an auteur.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, we did, we talk about it a fair amount throughout the book and, and the, cause the whole, um, you know, I think what he became really interested in was the, what, and and especially with Naked Lunch was this, you know, idea of transformation that mm-hmm. you have an artist who has created a work of art and then Cronenberg is going to take that and turn it into something else, right? You know, and if you and if you think about the and, and this is sort of a, a core Very subject of his right? films because yeah. if you think about *The Fly*, you know, you have the scientist Jeff Goldblum and he gets merged with an actual insect and then you have a new new creature. And this idea of two things coming together and creating something new that's neither one or the other is has been really intriguing to him. So he's worked with some really strong writers and um it's been you know it's it's usually been an interesting it's been an interesting like tension between the different artists you know I mean maps to the stars you've got the Bruce Wagner novel which feels you know the written novel feels like a satire of Hollywood Mm -hmm. you know then Cronenberg brings his own sensibility to that and it's um you know I think that is very much like a ghost movie it's it's a movie that's filled with dream sequences and and ghosts you know characters who come back from the dead somehow and that i think that's his sensibility and there's like a clash between Cronenberg's sensibility and bruce wagner's that's re- i thought was really interesting mm-hmm. but i think that was a film that, that people couldn't quite um put their you know figure it out what it was exactly yeah but, um, and it's a pretty far out movie <laughs> yeah yeah I,
0: he's not he's not pandering you can't accuse him of that he
1: definitely not no, definitely does not pander <laughs> um and then he you know and then he wrote a novel um Consume, oh, yeah. where he got to really explore you know i think he's like always wanted to write you know he you know you you get the feeling that his favorite novelist was nabakov but he never tried to adapt nabakov um and maybe he just didn't, you know, maybe there just wasn't the right project or, or there weren't the rights to something that he wanted mm-hmm. to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, it always sort of felt like he had a novel in him. And then mm-hmm. he finally did, you know, write a novel that came out around the time of *Mass to the Stars. You know, he ha- he's had some loss in the past few years. I mean, he lost his wife, who married to her for a long time, um, his sister, Denise Cronenberg, also died a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And she was an amazing costume designer, you know, who worked on his films. So he's, you know, that's, that's been really difficult. Sure. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and lastly, can you just, uh, like, how did you end up publishing with University Press of Mississippi? Because, you know, I, uh, that's a, I have a connection with that press through Sidney Stern and
1: oh right 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 yeah, yes. yes
0: so you know I was glad to, it was nice to see this book come out well I'm, and they I'm contacted probably... me about it <laughs> uh,
1: you know there was a series of books that they do University of Mississippi it's a great series called Conversations with Filmmakers and and actually like many years ago I mean I'm I'm embarrassed probably if I think about how long ago this project started it was probably I feel like it's at least 10 years the editor of that series at one point was Peter Brunette, who is a wonderful film critic who who died, who passed away a while ago. Now, um, Gerald Perry edits the oh, series. Oh, sure,
0: Gerald. Mm-hmm.
1: And um, I just, you know, sort of, I was asked to do a volume of Cronenberg interviews. I never really had the time to to do it, but I, you know, collected interviews over the years. And this book has a few long form interviews that I really love. You know, There was a great book that came out in the 80s, the first important book about Cronenberg um, called The Shape of Rage, which is by Pierce Han- You know, put together by, by Piers Handling, who was most famous as, as the longtime director of the Toronto Film Festival. But he was one of the first champions of Cronenberg's book. And there's a great interview that covers like the early life and career. Um, it's a very long interview and I was able to get rights to that. And then uh, there's a, a terrific writer named David Breskin yep. who, you, you know, used to publish pieces in Rolling Stone. And he did an interview with Cronenberg for Rolling Stone about Naked Lunch. And when I went, approached him about publishing that, he said, well, I did a longer version for this book called Interviews. And I'm, I guess the Rolling Stone piece was a few thousand words, but the piece in uh, the full length version is like, third, I don't know, like 30,000 words. It's, it's right. And I got rights for that. And, you know, I just sort of went one by one. I wanted to have interviews that covered, you know, went through the whole career. There's an, an interview about his book. And there's an interview, really nice interview by Graham Fuller about Maps to the Stars. So the book really covers the whole career. But yeah, it just took a while to, you know, get the permissions and put it together. And I had a little bit of time after, you know, I worked for... I had a full-time job at the Museum of the Moving Image until 2018. And I left the museum and and actually had some time to v- finish this book. <laughs> you
0: know, so you, you gave yourself a little break before starting at the Paris?
1: I started, yeah, I, I got a job uh, just before the pandemic uh, with Netflix. And I'm programming the Paris Theater. And there was this in-between period when I was doing like, a lot of different freelance projects and i just said this is when i want you know this is my opportunity to like get this Cronenberg book done and it happened you know and i'm glad well, it happened because now- <laughs> so, it's too. my first book i mean i i haven't had time to do you know do you see yourself doing some others um maybe i i liked it you know it's i like the process but all i can say you know the about the you know what I'm doing now is pretty consuming. You know, pr- programming the Paris Theater, and that's all I want to focus on right now.
0: Well, yeah, uh, it's a new new thing, and it's an, a a very remarkable time to start a job at
1: a theater. Exactly. Yeah, very weird time, but um, yeah, you know, at some point, yeah, yeah, people will it'll <laughs> we'll be back at normal. And it's it's very clear, like, just from the bit I've seen, you know, bit of evidence in the last month or so as theaters start to reopen, that people, like, people really want to go back. You know, th- that's been a, the big topic in the past year. Like, what, what you know, are people going to go back into movie theaters? And, and the answer is David Schwartz. <laughs> I, I would say yes. I mean, I think uh, yeah. right now what we, what's very clear is people want to go back to restaurants and bars. <laughs> Those are all crowded, <laughs> but... Um, right. Well, those are, you know,
0: yeah. Um The, the solutions for those places could be a little, a little less expensive than for a movie theater. Yeah. You know, yeah.
1: Uh, how many seats at the Paris? Oh, five, like over 500, yeah. So, things.
0: oh, it's a good-sized theater. I was just thinking, I'm, I've kind of gotten involved with these guys up here at the, the Upstate Films, which are oh, these...
1: Oh, I love them. Upstate Films, yeah.
0: Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. So... Uh, that we're doing a big outdoor i mean you know like rooftop films, but you know optimizing this area of the hudson Valley uh, outdoor spaces and partnerships i mean they they are being very ambitious and i i mean i've been uh you know connected i connected with them pretty quick because I was already worried about the, the the survival of these little art houses, and you know I was like when I moved here I was like oh uh, I want to really Help with the upstate films because they're going to be in my local art houses, you know. And that's so yeah, I'm, I'm great. been so I'm going to be hopefully I I am I'm doing some programming with these guys, so I'm very oh great happy to have kind of gotten some already planting some roots up here. Oh, that's great. But you know, they're, those theaters compared to the Paris, you know, they're very small, and the expense of maybe having to rehaul the or you know an HVAC system or something. Is like you know, it's it's a it's a burden like on a level.
1: It's amazing. That, I mean, I, I um, you know, there's this organization called Art House Convergence. Right. Sure. Uh, you know, and I, I I went to the conference a few years ago, and it's just, you just hear so many stories about these little theaters all over the country that manage to like find a way to right to you know to raise the money and, and keep running, and there's such a um, you know desire for people to have these, have these theaters. It's maybe now it's, more than ever, maybe now more than ever. It could maybe. be, I, I think, that, I think that could be true. Like I, look, I certainly, um, every, you know, everybody's learned what they can watch on their own TVs. And I've, you know, I'm amazed at how much I've been able to have access to on all these, you know, different services, you know Criterion and Mubi and all, you know, so many, Yeah. Um, you can do so much online. It's amazing. But, um, you know, people, ultimately people want to be in a theater.
0: Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I mean, um, I I agree. I think, I'm not really concerned about that. Like I know people do want to return to the theaters and as soon as it's safe, they will, you know, that's the whole, that's the whole thing.
1: As soon as people are, a lot of people tell me that they, you know, once they're vaccinated, they'll go. Yeah. So it'll it's it's coming it's it's taken a while but right thank you this oh well thanks book.
0: people can buy <laughs> where books are sold
1: <laughs> yeah we all know where to go to buy books these days but exactly. um uh, but thanks so much it's been a pleasure and um good luck with your cinema
0: thank you and i love talking yeah i love talking it's a great excuse to talk about a great filmmaker uh i love i love these opportunities to i i have not done an episode on david cronenberg so it's a pleasure and great you know to uh, reconnect is nice it's very
1: nice yeah, to great to, to see you and thanks so much and
0: i'll come down to the paris please do <laughs> <laughs> Many acclaimed supporting roles, Brian Tyree Henry. I don't know if you watched the show Atlanta, but he was also in If Beale Street Could Talk and The Eternals. But Brian Tyree Henry takes on his first big screen lead character as Charles Young, an introverted video editor trying to recover from a broken heart. Perceiving a betrayal of trust as a sign, his girlfriend is leaving him. Charles preemptively blows up his relationship and sequesters himself at home. The fates do not comply, and Charles accidentally locks himself out of his apartment, hence the title of the film. Stumbling into a life-changing odyssey, exploring his building, and opening himself up to his community, Charles meets a world of previously avoided neighbors, two of whom are played by our guests Sunita Mani, who you might know from Glow, Mr. Robot, and a number of films including Madeline's Madeline. Uh, also, Olivia Edward from Better Things, Pamela Adlon's show. She plays the younger daughter and, and others. In a nearly real-time experience, Charles is forced to re-evaluate his choices when he sees his life in parallel with the people around him. It's a very funny movie. It's also very touching. And what I like about it is it's also it's a real Brooklyn story. You know, it takes place just on the streets of Brooklyn, like, a, like an old Spike Lee film or many others, but th- this this is just has, a, it's a love letter to also just to neighborhood, New York neighborhoods, and it's a great movie to watch uh, this weekend. So please support my friend and Naskowski and The Outside Story, and I have to say, I, I promise you I was not high during this interview, but I was kind of thrown a little bit, and I just... I I apologize ahead if this is a little bit... There's a little bit of a manic nature to my... It's all me. It's all me. Sunita is fantastic. Olivia is unbelievable. These are wonderful, wonderful, talented people. And uh, I really want to urge people to go see The Outside Story. It's available. Uh, you can go to theoutsidestorymovie.com, but you can go to, uh, I mean, Google it. It's available pretty much on any platform where you might stream a movie, uh, including Apple TV, Amazon. It's on uh, Google Play, Vudu, Fandango, uh, YouTube, you name it. It's very easy to see this this movie. And I urge you to do it. I really do. You'll, you will thank me. You will write me back and thank me. And if you want to, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. It's very easy to find me. It's very e- easy to find the show if, in fact, you do want to complain or compliment or whatever you want to do. Uh, but here is uh, uh, the filmmaker back on the show, Kasmir Neskowski, as well as the wonderful actors, Olivia Edward and Sunita Mani here on Film Wax Radio
2: so cute together. Can't there be some hope? No, because we're not doing hope today. I think that's probably a sign you need to get out of your apartment. You need to stop being such a shut in. We never go
3: out. Because I like being at home with you. Think i want to stay inside and feel sorry for myself all day? Hey, hey, here you go. 15 bucks. We saw a guy. What about the lady who lives here? We broke up. It's too bad. She's the she used to tip. Isha
4: left you?
0: Shame. She seems so fun. Uh, get it? She was amazing.
3: Let myself out of uh, my apartment
2: without your shoes sucks oh it's dumb well it looks like a beautiful day
1: <laughs>
3: i was wondering if i could climb out on your fire escape i hope that
4: i'm not interrupting hi, hi. yes we're in a relationship wow greetings greetings Hello. how are you i'm good i'm good feeling good good to see you good to see you both good olivia you. What's, that, what's that painting behind you i
2: like it it is i i don't know it it's is abstract, blue. I think. It, it
0: is blue. I'm a big fan of blue. Blue's good. It's nice. Very nice. She's set up very well there. It's like she yeah. has practice. Absolutely. Yeah. She's a pro. Wow. I'm, I'm, I'm an amateur at this. so You do very well. <laughs> Don't underestimate yourself. Stop. Are, so we're waiting on one more? I believe so. I was talking to uh, Olivia about her. I was asking her because I just watched I watched it again, Kaz. I watched the film again. Because, but and by the way, when when did I watch it last time? Like three or four months ago? No, probably more. No than longer than that. Probably somewhere in I want
4: to say. Oh, it was right before the drive-in screening. Probably right. So, so it was uh, that would be uh, that was August first. So it was probably July, mid July. Wow. Okay. Oh, time time flies when you're in it a can...
0: pandemic. <laughs> yeah, it sure does. It really does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was fun to watch again. I mean, it it's. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's it was enjoyable. It's a nice er- spring movie, also because it, it takes place in the what seems like late summer or early summer because nobody's, nobody's sweating too much yet. So
4: that's true. Even though and, spoiler, it was actually shot in like the bitter cold. How cold was it? Like fifteen cold, really? degrees it was,
3: in days. It was pretty. Yeah, it was pretty cold.
4: Really? <laughs> yeah. When they're up on the roof, it's really we were. We were cruel, cruel to the actors. There should have been way more blankets. It was, it was so cool. We
2: had, we had those, we had those little things that would warm up. And we would put them in our pockets. Oh, like, the warmers!
4: Right, right. Yeah. Oh my you, god, it was brutal. It was so brutal. It's like did November. They
0: to, did they have to chew on ice to uh, keep the uh, there uh, was visible oh, the fog? Breath.
4: There was one scene where we talked about it, and I don't think we did, and we cut around it. Actually, it's a scene with Sunita and uh, and Brian when they're talking on the park bench, there's like little bits of fog you can see. But I think we actually just cut around it. We were just, it's, again, it was so cold. It seemed too cruel to be like, and now have some ice cubes. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah. So
0: that so we didn't. Yes. And just I think we got lucky in terms of the other other scenes. And tell me exactly where you shot it too, because I started to get, look at various blocks and started thinking, I, I keep, I kept guessing. Sure. Well, uh, but tell me, we shot the main block is on Third Street between Fifth
4: and Sixth Avenue in Park Slope.
0: Okay, so it was very close.
4: But then we also shot in my neighborhood in Carroll Gardens in Cobble Hill Park, and then like the food kind of tour happens on Court Street here in Carroll Gardens. But right. the Hero Building, the main kind of building uh, interiors, they're all in all in Park Slope. Hi. Greetings.
2: Hi, oh Cass. Hi, Olivia.
4: Hi. Nice to see you. I know, a real reunion.
2: Hi, Adam. Nice to see you.
0: Nice to meet
4: you. A too.
2: real union.
0: A union.
4: It's a union. It's not, right. it's a reunion,
2: it's but a it's, just, it's
0: just a union. Well, I've seen enough of Sunita's work mm-hmm. over the years, and uh, we've been, I believe, at places at the same time. I have. We have a number of, we're even in a film together, Sunita. Oh. so Tell me
2: more. Uh, no, know, I think it I'll just put out
0: there like an obnoxious host, and just <laughs> it's probably. I'm so
2: sorry, I, I'm not it's, placing it.
0: It's pre Mister Robot, so it's probably lower budge. But this was uh, a a very unusual. I mean,
2: it's it's all part of the game.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, it was what is it called now i'm now I'm blanking on the name i hope it was like a murder like so, no it was an honor or, or
2: something <laughs> It was that
0: honor weird strange honor yeah. <gasps> project that we did together wait the
2: vampire one
0: uh no it was uh that's what it was, was singer, yes. abby singer songwriter that's what it's called
2: oh. abby singer songwriter yeah, yeah. I, wait were you oh, at no. the summer party
0: oh, no sadly not invited got to tell you but uh, no they <laughs> oh, maybe shot... we were
2: in the backyard together at that it... one like backyard scene
0: I, they shot i'll tell you they shot this video and then we'll get back to our- okay i'm so
2: sorry <laughs> no 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 please
0: I, I i awkwardly dangled this and now i'm kind of yeah, backing up and now it's I your fault it but it <laughs> the it was this i was in i was just invited because this guy was record doing like videos of his songs and then they tied it together with a story so i was in one of those videos where i was uh we 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 I was like a homeless guy or something. I am trying to remember the whole story. God. And or no no no, I was a Wall Street type. That's what it was. And and that <laughs> owner was
3: How so, much there? So,
0: yeah. It depends on what what something. year it was. Yeah. Right. So uh, I get so confused. Anyhow, uh, but and I'm friends with Dan Salit. Well, I wrote these things down Tally Madell, Nathan Silver, this friend of mine. So Yeah,
2: yes. These are all wonderful people. I agree. We conjure them mm-hmm. now in the room with us to just-
0: Absolutely, you right. Know, I consider- Caz- them,
2: them. They're great.
0: I... Good, Kazmier, it looked like you were about to say something.
4: Oh, no, I was just, I was just echoing uh, Sunita's welcoming
0: to these Thank people. Thank you. Well, I'm glad to have you all here. <laughs> and I, oh, Kaz and I did a, a segment and we had a f- surprise uh, Zoom bombing by producer Frank Hall-Green some time ago. We talk. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I know. What's going to happen this time?
4: Well,
2: there are, you know, there are people who like come into Zooms.
4: Yes. And and I was thinking
2: you you were interrupted by like four chan.
4: He was pretty bad. He was pretty bad. I mean, he is
0: the producer, (laughs) but he was pretty. He was gross. It was yucky. It was too much. A huge clap of thunder outside my window. I just got. Wow, it's one of those. It's very
2: strange. It's
0: nice that there are thunderstorms because it makes me feel like, okay, it's almost summertime. Anyway. Yeah. I was just saying before Sunita, before you got on just to pivot back to the subject at hand uh, that I was rewatching the film. And, and, and in so many ways, it's like one of those movies that I get to feel like I'm watching for the first time because I can now, you know, you watch a movie, you take in the larger, broader strokes of it. But if you watch it again, you know, you all know this, that you get to start to notice so many details it's so chock full of wonderful moments and details so and -hmm. little performances and things that are thrown in and so it's fun to watch again you know thank you i mean it's a lot
4: happens in the movie you know a lot of things for a movie that takes place in one day i feel like there's a a lot of stuff goes on
0: yeah exactly and well but i i just to backtrack olivia and i were talking earlier i don't before everybody got on, and I was asking her about her piano playing because it was you can, you know, it's again a case where you couldn't tell. Uh, was she really playing? Or did you have a double come in? And I thought it was a really convincing scene. So good. Just to pay her a due compliment. Um, and she's just it's just almost impossible to believe that it was her first feature film. She's amazing. I get so lucky that's fun. Too. Thank you. <laughs> Who cast this? let me put it in the form of a question
4: uh, the the casting director was stephanie holbrook and she was she was amazing a lot of work by the producers too by frank and brian newman joe stevens um but really the 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 work is by these wonderful actors who uh took a chance on a first-time director not to mess this up screw this whole thing up so i mean um, I feel incredibly lucky and grateful that I got to work with basically my favorite actors um, from, you know, as a fan. So I, it's, I I'm still pinching myself, a lot of pinching. I had a lot of bruising on these, this arm and this arm from from all the pinching that's going on. Um, I, I, I really, I mean it, but just unbelievably lucky.
0: Uh, yeah. Because everybody works together really well. There's a, uh, like this simpatico that exists there. Did you guys have any opportunity at, or uh, to, I don't know, I, I, I guess rehearses is, is probably not the case. I don't know, but it may even just workshop it, talk about it, work through things, figure it out beforehand. Did you have any time for that? Because nobody has any time for these things, typically. Or I mean, I'll, just,
4: I'll just say one thing, which is just that as a first-time director, you have a lot of kind of like, you're very quickly divorced of a lot of fantasies. Because I will say that I was like, Oh, so what are we getting two weeks, three weeks rehearsal? Are we doing a retreat? What are we, where are we going on the retreat? Who's what's who's cooking? What's Mm -hmm. happening? Are we sharing cooking duties? Um, So there was a lot of that. And then you very quick, Oh no, 16 days. Like that's it. Like that's actually it. Um, So I can just say from my perspective, I'd be, I'd love to hear you guys. I like, honestly, we had great conversations. A lot of it was like on the fly and right before and, I mean, it was that's that's also having great actors who were very game for I think that kind of shoot. So I'm I'm curious what you guys thought.
2: Yeah, I I mean I'd say I know a lot of things happen for preparation and rehearsal, but in my opinion, I think the spontaneous things that happen in the scene I think that just makes it more natural. I think that's what happened in the aspect story. Mm-hmm.
0: So this is just everybody's winging it here, is what I'm gathering. <laughs> you're you're it's <you're> <laughs> like. And and Brian
2: too is sorry to interrupt I just want to say Brian makes uh, most of my scenes were with Brian uh, and they I mean he makes it so easy to have such a natural chemistry everyone Olivia too I think everyone brought such like warmth and locality like to themselves which is very much of the movie that it we're all kind of we're not really trying to play type which could be easier to fall into maybe in the moment, but it was more the direction of like the ease of just being with that other person in the scene. Um, Mm. So that was, I feel like that both Kaz and and Brian kind of from like the top down, it was, and the producers, it was very like warm and chemistry, like easy going chemistry was all around there.
4: It's also just fun. It's fun watching. I mean, I think back on, there's a lot of improv both in the film that Sunita and Ryan and Olivia, like, I mean, there's a lot of kind of stuff where people are just exploring like Mm -hmm. on screen and you get really great stuff when that's happening. I mean, I never really understand, totally understand kind of, uh, you know, production teams that aren't super interested in like even like a little bit of improv just because I feel like it, I don't know, you get great stuff when it's just happening to what Olivia was saying, when it's just happening in the moment. And um, yeah, it was just I felt really the considering for a lot of our shots and scenes we're probably getting no more than two three takes maybe. Um, there was actually a ton of just coverage because people are really, I think, hopefully feeling free enough to kind of really you know explore and get get wacky, get fun with the character,
0: and it was it was great. Well, you call yourself a, you refer to yourself as a first time filmmaker, but you made shorts. I mean, you're not you're not. Going into this, like this is you call this a camera? Oh, pretty cool. <laughs> it's a lot, a lot bigger than the most of the cameras I'd used before. Yeah. Um, so, you call this a camera? But it's not. <laughs> it, it seems like you uh, you did a lot of you. You're very prepared. It seems like because yeah. I don't know for 16 days that it just seems like
4: it. I mean, again, I I I mean, I gotta say a lot of that is really having actors who are totally unflappable but I think also having crew that's really done it before. I think you can't really, yes, I'd made a lot of short films, but short films, they prepare you for like a, a couple of things, but it's, it's a totally different animal, I think, when you're making a feature. And I, I feel like, you know, I tried to be as prepared as possible, just really if I could sup, be a problem solver, honestly, how can we, oh, we can't get this location, we can't do that, how can we fix that problem? And then a lot of it is really like, don't mess it up. You know, don't get in the way. Like let Mm -hmm. let let everyone really do their thing and like don't kind of burden people. I feel like I went to Brian. I mean, Brian and I had so many great talks about this. The lead guy
0: plays Charles Young.
4: Yes, Brian Tyree Henry. But I feel like there was like on the first day I was like, Oh, we should go have a good long conversation about the character. I remember like I got like two lines in and I'm like, What am what am I doing? Let me just let me just slowly recede into the background and like we've already talked, he's got it. It's good to go. Like, wow. you know, just just don't mess it up. Don't like let it. Just let it happen because it's, again, with these kind of great people, it's it's going to happen
0: and it's going to be great. And did you did your casting person? Her name was again was Stephanie Holbrook. Stephanie, did she 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 discovered Olivia because Olivia doesn't hasn't done a film before. And oh what no, about, Olivia,
4: you, what, let me just see. Olivia, say, on one Olivia of my, can't I, hear. Her.
0: She can't hear us, but I don't think right so i'm going to compliment her and embarrass her i would embarrass her if she could hear us so right. but she she's so incredible you'd think she's like a seasoned uh, uh, sunita right this is she's Absolutely. incredibly poised and 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 like just b- pops off the screen uh, i don't mean to, she's gonna get a big head i am gonna don't think i'm gonna give you to it
2: <laughs> thank you thank you
0: what
4: you heard
2: that oh, oh no bro. no i didn't hear anything i didn't hear anything <laughs> what i didn't hear anything no 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 no, no.
4: <laughs> A lot of my conversations with Stephanie were like, hey, I really love better things. Do you think Olivia Edward ever want to do something like this? Hey, I I really love Glow. Do you think Sunita? Like, I mean, it was, it's the conversations were kind of as simple as that. I really love this person and they're amazing. Do you think they would ever want to do my silly little movie? Um, So, and I think she was like, yeah, let's say, let's go for it. Let's give it a shot. Why not? Can't hurt to ask.
0: So. Oh, okay, Olivia, I apologize, because I, 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 and Kaz, you did tell me that last time that, and I said, like, okay, that's where I know we're from, because do the, and I, I'll do the uh, spit, the spit, the, you know, when you're trying to purge the uh, the negative spirits, hmm. you have a whole thing you do on that show, right? Oh,
4: there we go. That's oh, right. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's superstitious.
0: Boy, boy, boy. Thank you. There you go. Okay. Sunita, did did it fulfill any uh, I don't know um, dream or fantasy that you got to play an officer of the law? I guess uh, would you call someone who is a hands out tickets uh, an officer? I guess so. Hmm.
2: Yeah, I don't think that was like a fantasy of mine, <laughs> but, but the the whole the whole picture of the uh, who. Slater is in this story it was great. I love, I mean, I was really drawn to it playing with Brian Tyree Henry too. What a fun thing to do. And then it's just this like, they get to hang out and eat like treats <laughs> and sandwiches. <laughs> that was my job, which was amazing to be given that opportunity.
4: <laughs> Food monster. And
2: to be, yeah, it's like you can, it's just a bit of, yeah, yeah. And she, she's like um, you know, but of but of the jokes sometimes which is okay.
0: Right. Well, you're so you're secure. You come across very secure as an actor. But this was this was uh, must have been enjoyable to do a comedy like this. But you although you have a comedic background, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um it was fun to do a, a, a comedy like this for sure. And it was pretty natural to do. Yeah, I, I feel like a lot of the, I mean, a lot of the comedy came from the dynamic too and just this tension that those characters had. Um, so it was sort of in, I wasn't really like plotting too much ahead of what, <laughs> you know, I could like really dream into this character. It was sort of, it kind of happening. Yeah, it really just sounds like- There was enough like space to play.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Did you, because it also built very nicely, you know, the two of yours friendship, you know? Yeah. There was a chemistry there from the start, but it's nice how it was. You guys built that up. Was it all there in the script?
2: Yeah. All right. Definitely. I, th- I think it was all there. And then there was like room to play and kind of make it our own a little bit, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I felt like those scenes or the little doses of, of their chemistry in the movie kind of, it just lends this, you know, unexpected thing that you're not, you're watching the movie just kind of happen. And I just loved how unexpected it was that Slater's so into food. <laughs> 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 really like, I mean, there's the, yeah, there's the law and order of her character, but the um, something that feels very New York to me is that within the system, you like find the exception. Sure. <laughs> and then that becomes the new role. And she's sort of like, She's so supposed to follow the rules <laughs> and like she is. And she's making sure other people do and wielding that power over them. But she's also like, well, I'm going to do this while I'm at work, too.
0: <laughs> right. and, uh, you know, you guys have a nice a moment where you guys have a nice moment where you uh, you tell them about this place Espositos, I think you call it. Is that what yeah. is that,
2: that a real so fun? It's
4: real life. Was that, is that a real spot? Yeah, that's a real spot. I'm I can see it from my window right now. I can I can get a sandwich from there. I could just reach my hand out and just come back with a sandwich from there. <laughs> that close I to me. Right Almost
0: drive-through. Yeah. Where is said, it? We're, on, you, know, you don't get, have to get too specific, I guess. We don't want to necessarily have people show up at your door pretending to be locked out or something. Well, They, wouldn't, just, know,
4: they wouldn't know where
0: I live. Um, it's, okay. on Cor- it's on Court Street um,
4: because yeah. they don't know what direction I'm reaching. It's on Court Street and it's Esposito's Pork Store and they have Oh you can't yeah, because it, it has a giant pig, like a yeah, giant. Yeah, I know, I know the place. I, thought, I between
0: 1987 and 1993, I lived in Carroll Gardens. I was hmm. obviously barely alive at the time. I was. You can yeah. argue with me if you want to, but anyway, no, I, and I lived on wow. Smith and Union. I lived at Smith and Union, oh, so and I right believe there. that place was there. Yeah, probably. I, and I, all these years, I deprived myself of. of uh... They make an incredible eggplant parm. That's what, I mean,
4: I, I don't mean to just get into the weeds on it, but I mean, they're probably known for the Italian combo, but, and I forget what you guys had, what you had in the scene. Well,
2: that's, yeah, that's very nice of you to say, because uh, I, Slater orders like a, a big meat sandwich, but I okay. personally, I don't eat meat. So I did order, <laughs> I did eat the eggplant farm in the scene.
4: But I'm a total convert but- now from that yeah. from that stage trickery <laughs> i am now like that is i am all in on the eggplant parm and the italian combo it's great for some people but not for me anymore it's eggplant all day it's great for
2: cinema it's great it's for great cinema. for exactly. cinematic dialogue
4: right it wouldn't have felt right if you were like eggplant parm <laughs> all around on me for the whole that would have been no what char- what is this character
0: um <laughs> yeah. true Okay, let's start for real now because, oh, uh, okay, no, I'm just kidding. But the, uh, the name of the movie, <laughs> the name the name of the, the, do you do that joke? Do you do
4: that joke every interview? Because it's, that's a good one. That's solid. It just won't get stale yeah. until it does.
0: Just, <laughs> let's see the name of the movie. It's a great spring movie. It's a really, really perfect cusp of no longer being in a pandemic movie, mm-hmm. which is an all new category, by the way. Your movie's the only one in it, but it, it'll—I'm sure it's going to explode with new titles. And, he, and then um, <laughs> it's called the Outside Story, and it's going to be available digitally and on demand That's as right. of as of August. Uh, excuse me, April thirtieth. That's right. Right. Yep. It stars Olivia Edward and other people. And um, correct.
2: This is amazing. <laughs> I agree. And sunita it's called M- the outside story starring olivia edwards
4: and right that's the title that's i forgot that's the
0: whole <laughs> <laughs> olivia edward at al um sunita Mani's in it uh, tr- uh rather uh uh brian tyree henry and uh oh my friend maddie Mayer is in it you know he we went to summer camp together i told you last time that's right that's right i like that he, one of us was probably was a counselor and the other was not it was a camper i won't tell you who was who right but we were both at this summer camp together way back in the 1980s sounds good sounds fun sounds like you know, a fun time it is i i invited him to to uh, to uh zoom bomb just never showed up i didn't do that he's,
4: bu- he's busy he's got a yeah got a no this was oh today well, he's still busy. I imagine he's still busy.
2: Sounds like he's not really a friend.
4: Yeah. Maybe
0: did you go, I mean, and did you go to summer camp together? Maybe not. Now everything's being called into question. My, my, um, my credibility factor has dropped tremendously, <laughs> yeah, but except please people watching that are watching this, please believe that this is one of my favorite movies of the year. Oh, thank you uh, so much
4: for saying that. That's wonderful.
0: Oh, it's absolutely the case. And I'm excited that we were able to pull this off and I, I apologize for my my incompetence, but, but <laughs> just
4: do my best. Just edit
2: it out. <laughs> Thank you, Sunita. Add, add, I, some, add some music.
0: Add some music. It's fine. There you go. <laughs> but it's really great. And uh, Sunita, you're fantastic in it. And Olivia, you're fantastic in it. And you. Um, uh, you. I really appreciate your all being available for this. That was great. And, uh, you know let's get people let's urge people to see it all uh, right is well, there is there a yeah. what's the best what's do you is it just go to what what platforms do you think
4: it's on all the platforms as i understand uh, it i mean there were a lot of platforms i didn't even i didn't even recognize some of them but i would say go to you could pre-order it on itunes right now um and then on april on april 30th it'll be on amazon google play wow. all the, all the places that you can rent or buy a movie and put it on your screen. The outside story will be there. We're on the Apple Trailers homepage right now. It's great. You can find it now. And uh,
0: April thirtieth, it'll be, it'll be yours. Please. Well, we're gonna. I'll hold on to. Exactly. All the, uh, all platforms and on demand. Uh, we're gonna uh, and on be, demand. That's yes, right. and on demand, which means on on the cable. When they say that, I believe so. Um. Uh. And you and Bissini, you're in Brooklyn too, right?
2: Yes, I am.
0: So it's a. This is as as also. I guess my final point is this is, th- this is a uh, a real homespun production, and really, I'm gonna also I'm gonna the, uh, uh, editing out happens all the time. I mean, it's not an unusual thing. And thank you very much. Certainly, You're welcome. Hope, please. Despite what's what, come back on and and, and for future projects, Olivia. Sunita. Kaz, we're, we're, we're connected. We're fine. Great. All righty. <laughs> Sounds good. I'll, I'll put, the links. I'll we'll yeah, we'll I'll put the links. You got it. Thank you. We'll see. We'll see how this
2: turns Yeah. <laughs> just kidding. I, know, I, know.
0: <laughs> I deserve it. I'll put the links for all the places where people can see the movie. And we'll post this once it's available. That way people can go from here right to see mm-hmm. the movie. Terrific. Okay.
2: Wonderful. Hey.
0: All right, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you all. Thank you, too. Thank you.
2: Hey you what are you doing? Do you know this man? Are we done here? no You got my keys?
0: I don't know which they are. You and Isha broke up, but you're still moving her car. I'm
2: here, I'm here, I'm here.
3: So you be out arresting real criminals or something?
2: City drivers are real criminals.
3: Says who? Says me. Who are you?
2: Someone who knows. What do you do?
3: I uh, cut in-memoriam videos of old celebrities.
2: You make eulogies for people who aren't dead yet? That's dark.
3: You ever been cheated on? Probably.
2: Charles, it was one time. I know Isha feels bad about it. How do you
3: not get jealous? Because life is short. I think it's good to have a little fire burning. Do you miss her? Sure. Then go get her, Romeo. The time short, no time for relaxing. Be the first and last out, maybe. Okay, one, two, three. Ah, it... oh, what the? That was bad. <sighs>
0: Much thanks, everybody. Have you written your review and star given a star rating to us? Please go to uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I think those are the two, or Stitcher. Excuse me, I think those are the two primary places where you can actually rate and review. Rate and review, please. Y- y- you are listening to this show for nothing. It doesn't cost you a dime, and and yet it costs me time and and some money to do such a show. And so I'm just asking as a Favor, if you would, uh, please just to go take a moment of your time and just write a review, hopefully a positive one, of the show. Thank you for that. Hopefully, I'm I'm guilting you into such a thing. Remember to check out the YouTube show. It we've got these these two segments that you that were just on this podcast are both you can watch them. You watch me humiliate myself over and over in various interviews on the YouTube show, and. There's also segments that aren't even on the podcast that are only on the YouTube channel. And one day, who knows, you know, they may not even be available to see unless you're a Patreon. That's not a th- veiled threat. I'm just always trying to figure out ways to uh, kind of help the, me and the show a little bit. And get, getting get growing the community around the show is a way to do it. And so I thank you for my regular listeners and or even for those quite frankly, who dip in and out. I understand that. I do that all the time. So, take care of yourselves and the ones you love. Until next time, Adam Shartoff on Wax Reading Take care. I woke up and wished
3: that I was dead With an aching in my head I lay motionless in bed I thought of you And where you'd gone Let the world Spin by me And everything That I said I'd do Like make the world brand new And take the time for you I just got lost Slept right through the dark And the world Spins my damn I Let the day go by I Always say goodbye I watch the stars From my windowsill The whole world is moving Standing still